Thank you, Pastor Holmes. Can we lift our hands and love the Lord together? Thank you, Jesus. I love you, 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 I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I would like to say that uh, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. Thank you, Bishop Holmes, for the invitation. I've learned in the, in the uh, past few years, since my first introduction to this church, to love and respect the leadership here. limited amount of time that I've been privileged to spend with Brother Holmes and, and uh, watch him as he leads in his church have given me a great respect for him. I've also... also have a, a growing uh, respect and appreciation for Brother Nathan Holmes. And, if, and I want to thank you for the, uh, providing the nice room and the snacks, place for us to stay while we're here. If I, if I could, before I read my text, just say something else personal in the way of honoring someone else unexpectedly. 1965, November, Saturday night, we were in revival with Brother Verbal Bean. My mom and dad were separated. I was a 12-year-old boy. And my dad came to church drunk to that Saturday night revival service. Brother Bean finished his message and uh, some of my friends went with me from the front row where we had been sitting back to the middle of the congregation where my drunk father was. And we began to talk to him and plead with him to go to the altar. The saints gave him wide berth because they knew that Leroy King was not pleasant when he was drunk. He had come to church before and challenged the pastor and caused trouble. But there was one man, one brave soul, who joined with Brother Verbal Bean to go back and, and talk to my daddy and and uh, before it was over, my drunk daddy, with tears flowing down his cheeks, went to an altar, and he stayed at the altar until he sobered up and repented. He was never drunk again. 
God delivered him from alcohol and filled him with the Holy Ghost. And uh, my dad is still in church and living for God today. And that brave man who went back and, and joined with, with the evangelist in, in praying for my dad and talking to him that night is standing in front of me, Brother Dean Wright. And I want to acknowledge you and honor you. You're one of my heroes, Brother Wright. Thank you. Sister Enzi, that's him standing right behind you. And uh, you never know, saint of God, there are some unsung heroes in Pentecost. And you never know the person that you're burdened to pray for. And a Sunday school teacher, the child that you're dealing with, and an altar worker when you go down and help somebody pray through the Holy Ghost. You never know what you're doing in the kingdom of God. But God knows. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Reading from Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, verses 8, 9, and 10. Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 8. By faith... Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Verse 8 said that he went out not knowing where he went. Abraham was following God and he was obeying God, but he went out not knowing where he was going. The Lord will help me. I'd like to talk to you this morning about the journey. The journey. Lord Jesus, open our ears to hear and open our minds to understand and open our hearts, God, to respond obediently to your word. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory forever. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you. And you may be seated. I suppose that every one of us are on a journey. Life, if you look at it as being that that begins at birth and ends at death, is a journey between birth and death. Life is a journey. And uh, and I believe that I believe that we should enjoy the journey and um but even more importantly than that, the journey should have a definite goal and a definite end, and our journey should be given to God. 
My journey, my journey has become buzzwords in this generation for people who depart from the path of righteousness and wander from belief to belief or from belief to unbelief. Like Abraham, they do not know where they're going, but unlike Abraham, they are not walking in obedience to the Word of God, but only after the dictates of their own desires. Abraham's journey was ordered by God. Abraham went on his journey not knowing what tomorrow would bring, not knowing where his path would lead, only knowing that God said, go. And so he went. There are many people in the world today who, uh, who are sincerely searching. In fact, many of you arrived at apostolic revelation and truth and conviction via a pathway that led you from, from uh, false doctrine, from the religion of your family, the background of your family, and, and through the sincerity of your heart, you went step by step, day by day, from strength to strength, from faith to faith, and from glory to glory. And here you are, in a one God apostolic, Jesus name, tongue talking, holiness believing church. And your journey from this point on is a journey to continue to please God, a journey to fulfill the will of God in your life, to do the work that God has for you if you're a saint, generally through your local church. And and it's, it's a good journey. It's a great trip. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13, beginning with verse 13, reads like this. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them 
a city. And verse 39 and 40 at the end of the chapter said, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Abraham obeyed God. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham was on a journey. He walked by faith and he became the father of the faithful. Abraham never found what he was looking for. He never received the promises, but he died in faith, having seen them far off. Abraham, who walked by faith and became thus the father of the faithful, had a faith, the faith that he walked by was built upon hearing and obeying the word of God. We cannot use the example of Abraham as apostolics to say, I am on a journey and my theology is progressing. Once you have received the revelation of the oneness of God, the mighty God in Christ Jesus, there is no greater revelation in the world. There is no greater revelation in history then hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. It is one thing for an apostolic to say, I'm on a journey. And that journey is my time between my birth and my death. This short span called life is a journey. And I'm walking with God day by day. That's one thing. It's an entirely different thing altogether to use the modern phrase as so many are using it as a justification to depart from the faith and to say, well, this is my journey and I'm just seeking truth. And I'm just trying to find myself. The important thing in life is not to find yourself. The important thing is to find Him. Abraham did not know where he was going. Unlike Abraham, you and I have received... The promise of the Holy Spirit. And you and I, unlike Abraham, have entered into the kingdom of God by virtue of being born again. Born of the water and born of the Spirit. We have entered into the church. 
built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We also walk by faith. And our faith also is based upon hearing and obeying the word of God. Paul said in Romans 10, 17, So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When Abraham followed God, it was not a written word. The book had not yet been written. It had not yet been established. When Abraham followed God, his obedience and his faith were built upon the vocal, actual talking of God to him. You and I have the written word of God. We are not subject to the whims and the fancies and the feelings of the fickle flesh. But we have a word that is forever settled in heaven. We have a word that will never change. We have a word that we can stand on. We have a word that we can build our life on. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And verse 14 and 15 said, And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So Abraham did not know where he was going. He walked by faith. He didn't know what tomorrow would bring. He was looking for a city. He never saw it. He never received the promise. We walk by faith, built upon the word of God, by a preacher who preaches to us the truth. We have the word of God and we have received the promise. We are not wandering blindly, not knowing what tomorrow will bring. We have the promise of what tomorrow will bring. For those who use Abraham's example and say they're on a journey and he didn't know where he was going and they don't either. We're in the New Testament. We've received the promise. You cannot use that example. Only as far, only as far as leaving sin, only as far as leaving worldliness and following God. But we have received the promise. What about... Paul saying, I do not consider myself to have apprehended. I realize this morning that I am no doubt preaching to the choir. But I'm sharing something that has burdened my heart, especially recently. And, and for those, whether it's a preacher or a saint, maybe a preacher's kid, who are feeling uncertainty in the old paths 
uncertainty in what you believe? And is it really this way and no other way? And are all these other people lost who are not believing it this way? And what about my friends who left? And I know them and they're still good people, but they're just on their journey. Perhaps I could persuade some one person today. Perhaps, perhaps I can awaken you to the danger of the spirit of deception and the spirit of seduction of this world. And so some may use the Apostle Paul's saying, I do not I do not count myself, brethren, to have already apprehended or to have already attained. And they would say, well, look, even the Apostle Paul was on a journey. Even he admitted that he didn't have it all. Let's take a closer look at that. First of all, the Apostle Paul and all the apostles would be quick to admit that they were on a journey as far as where the gospel would take them. And, and, and as far as where preaching the gospel would take them, they probably had no idea where they would eventually wind up geographically or physically. And the exception to this would be the Apostle Peter, whom Jesus had, had told exactly what would happen to him. But to suggest that they were on a journey theologically is preposterous. They knew exactly what they believed. And most of them died for that conviction. There was no, with them, there was no wishy-washy, I'm searching for the way. When they were filled with the Holy Ghost, they stood side by side, affirming Peter's message to repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. There were no questions from the 11. They did not say, I have a different opinion. They did not say, well, that's just, that's just boisterous Peter. That's just Simon, you know, mouthing off again. No, no, no. He was backed up by the 11. They were affirming what he said. They never contradicted. This is the way. You must repent. You must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. You must receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's the way and it's the only way. And when dealing with issues such as salvation and standards, and holiness, and lifestyle. They did not use terminology such as, well, this is what's right for me. But every man must find his own way. Or, I'm on a journey, and, and at least for now, this is what I've decided to do. Or, this is my reality and everyone has their own reality. 
You can convince yourself of that stupidity if you want to. Everyone doesn't have their own reality. Truth is truth, and you can't make up your own truth. The Apostle Paul didn't say, this is, this is the road that I've taken. A way less traveled. And I respect you for the road that you've taken. Nonsense. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1.6. He said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And he was quick to add this, which is not another. There's no other gospel. Call it what you want to. There's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. There's a lot of people today perverting the gospel of Christ. So what they wind up with is not the gospel, but a perversion. <laughs> I just thought of a time several years ago I was... I was at a conference in the hotel lobby standing with, with uh, my dear friend and my wife's uncle, E.L. Holly. And a preacher had come up to him. We were standing together. A preacher came up. He introduced himself and said, Brother Holly, I would like to talk to you. This preacher had been known as, as a man who uh, perverted the gospel as a man who did not stick to the Scriptures. And uh, he said, I, I'd like to talk to you. And, and Brother Holly didn't hesitate. He said, I don't want to talk to you. He said, you, sir, are a spiritual deviant. There's a lot of spiritual deviants perverting the gospel today. I don't really want to talk to him. I don't really want to talk to them. Now, if you're a new convert, if you're coming this direction, if you're here this morning and you haven't, you haven't been in church long and, 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 and if you're a lady with, and your hair is cut and, and you're wearing jewelry and we welcome you. You're great. That's, but, but if, but if you were an apostolic and you look like that and you're flouting your new freedom and liberty, I don't want to talk to you. I don't like your spirit. You're a spiritual deviant. You have been deceived. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him who called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, 
preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. Let him be cast away. Let him be a reject. And then he came back and hit it again. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than you have received, let him be accursed. That wasn't what Johnny King said. I didn't write that. That's in the Word of God. That's the Apostle Paul. And this church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So let's look at Paul's statements about not having already attained in Philippians chapter 3. Finally, My brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Don't ever get tired of your pastor preaching the same old thing. It's it's the attitude of wanting to hear something new and different that leads people into deception. There, is no, there has been nothing new and different added to the Word of God in 2,000 years. Nothing new. Please don't get tired and don't become bored with the same old thing. To write the same things to you, to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinks he has whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And be found in him not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, Attain what, Paul? The resurrection of the dead. I'm not there yet. My race is not run. My course is not 
finished. My battle has not been fought. There would come a time when Paul could say, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I've fought a good fight. But this was not the time, and he had not yet attained unto the resurrection of the dead. He was not saying, I don't know what I believe. He was not saying, I'm still searching for more truth. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He called me for a purpose, and that purpose I must fulfill. That's what he's saying. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't attained it yet. But this one thing I do, for do what? Go, I'm going back to the things that I left. This one thing, I haven't, I haven't attained yet. I have not apprehended it yet. But this one thing I do, I'm on a journey and, and I'm going to go back to where I came from. I'm going back to lesser truth. I'm going back to liberalism. I'm going back. Oh, no, no. He's not going back. He's going forward and he's not looking back. This one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind. We have already settled these issues. Forgetting those things that are behind. Look, folks. I don't care how much new technology comes on the line. Television and Hollywood is a settled issue. It's behind us. Forget it. We're not revisiting that. Forget it. It's one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. I, I am so sick and tired of hearing the internet versus television issue. That if you come up to me and try to justify your television watching by saying, well, it's no worse than the internet, I'm liable to puke. I'm sick of it. Now, if that's your conviction, that there's no difference between internet and television, if that's your conviction, then good. Don't have either one of them. But don't use that as an excuse and a justification to let television in your house and start watching Hollywood movies. Forgetting those things that are behind. 
We've just settled some things. Long ago, long ago, long ago, my pastor settled some things long ago. Apostolic women don't cut or trim their hair. It's settled, period. We're not going back. I, I, thought it was, I thought it was settled long ago that apostolics don't color their hair. I thought that was settled. For me, that's settled. You know, I, I received a, uh, a brochure of this meeting, professional design, well put together, all laid, I mean, top notch. I only have one complaint about it. And that's that uh, uh, whoever designed it put a picture of me on the same page with a bald-headed preacher. Well, having said that, I've never been tempted. <laughs> I've never been tempted to wear a wig. Or a toupee. Brother, if your hair goes, let it go. And brother and sister, if your hair turns gray, let it turn gray. And church, you know, if we're going to grow old, and it's probably better than the alternative, let's do it gracefully. (laughs) Because you might be able to do something about your hair, but you sure can't do something about everything else that's going wrong with your body. Are elders still respected in the apostolic church? We just have settled a lot of things years and years ago. But the danger is that so many others around you who call themselves apostolic are being non-apostolic. The danger is you begin to think, well, she's doing it and she's doing it and he's doing it. It must be all right because they've been apostolic for 50 years. 
Well, maybe it would be easier to say and more accurate to say they were apostolic 50 years ago. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's statement that he had not attained or he had not apprehended was not some type of a self-confession self-confession or psycho-babble that he didn't know where he was in life and he was still searching to find himself and he was on his journey. No, he knew exactly where he was. He knew where he was going and he knew he was not going back. So there are many. There are many, no doubt. There are many who identify themselves as apostolics, but who cannot be identified by others as apostolics. There are many who have been, who have been lifelong apostolics, but are not holding to what they were taught when they started this race. Following the multitude is never the wisest idea. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Beginning with verse 13, enter in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing. They disguise themselves as one of the flock. They say the Lord is our shepherd. Beware of false prophets who say I'm apostolic. Who say, oh yeah, I'm Pentecostal. Who say, oh yeah, I haven't changed the message. I still believe the message. I still love God. I still believe the Bible. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. If they dressed like wolves, sheep wouldn't follow them. But they come into your congregations dressed like sheep. They come into the movement disguised as part of the flock. And they spin their stories and their smooth words and their entangling web through their websites and their blog sites 
and their chat rooms. And they make, they make a traditional apostolic who is simply believing and le- living and preaching the same thing that they once did. They make them appear uneducated and backward and foolish and in bondage. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good fruit bringeth forth, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Just give them time. Just give them time. I'm talking about these, I'm talking about these smooth, smooth-tongued preachers. These personable, educated, intelligent, understanding, loving, compassionate, caring preachers who are disguised as sheep. I'm talking about them. I'm talking about these spiritual deviants. I'm talking about these men who were on their journey. And their journey has taken them away from this book. Just give them time. They may sound enticing today. They may sound so reasonable today, especially if you get crossways with your own pastor. If you get offended, if you get your feelings hurt. Are you easily offended? How how made up is your mind to live for God? Is it made up? I mean, is your mind absolutely, totally made up? I'm looking for I'm looking for some young people who are 17 years old. Any who have any young anybody here 17 years old? Would you stand? There's one. There's one. There's one. Stand up. 17 years old. Okay. So keep standing. Is your mind made up to serve God? Absolutely. Totally. I mean, your preacher can't run you off. When I was your age. I had I just bought a new car. It was a 71 Chevrolet Vega. And, uh, and I had a job. I was working at Floyd's General Merchandise Stores, and, and I got paid every two weeks, and my car payment was due once a month. And so on this particular check, I got my check, and I looked at it, and I realized, hmm, man, my car payment is due. And I don't have enough to pay my tithes and my car payment. So I figured, you know, I reasoned. I reasoned. Sounded logical at the time. What I'll do is make my car payment. 
That's what I'll do. And then when I get paid two weeks from now, I'll double up on my tithes. And so that's what I did. My pastor, who did, who did not take care of the church books, and, and who was pastor in a church of three or 400 people at that time, met me on the street downtown, Bakersville, California. And he walked up to me, and he didn't say, um, praise the Lord, Brother Johnny. He didn't say, how are you doing? He didn't say, are you having a nice day? He asked, he said, did you get paid this week? I said, yes, sir. He said, did you pay your tithes? And I said, well, no. And before I could explain what I had done, he said, you're disfellowshipped. And he turned around and walked off. Now, if I had been looking for an opportunity to leave church, I guess that would have been as good an opportunity as any. But I wasn't looking for an opportunity to leave church. And I knew, I knew he's right. My pastor is right. I knew that. I knew it. So I went to church. I didn't stop. I went to church, showed up at the next service, and Brother Terry stood up behind the pulpit and told the whole church, Johnny King is out of fellowship with the church until he learns how to pay his tithes. Boy, if, I, if I'd been looking for an opportunity, if I'd just been, you know, some people are just waiting. They're just waiting for somebody to ignore them or walk by them and not shake their hand. They're just waiting for the pastor to give them a dirty look. Some people are looking for an excuse to walk out. They're already cold. They're already carnal. They're already looking back. I thank God for a pastor. You can, you, you can be seated. I thank God for a pastor who cared enough about a 17-year-old boy to tell him the truth. And I also thank God for a mother and a father who never, who never, while that was going on, never said one word against the man of God. Thank God for a mom and dad who did not come patting me on the back, feeling sorry for me, saying, oh, son, we, we, we know he was a little hard on you. You really didn't deserve that. We know you were going to pay your tithes. I thank God mom and dad kept their mouth shut. I know what they must have been feeling, but they didn't tell me. They stood behind the pastor. Oh, mom and dad, if you care about your children, if you want them to be saved, or your grandchildren, you better, you better stand behind the pastor. Jesus said, not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that, that what? He who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Faith comes by what? Hearing. When we hear the word of God from the mouth of a preacher, faith is born into our heart. When faith comes, it produces what? 
obedience. Faith comes by hearing. Obedience comes by faith. Abraham walked with God. He obeyed God. He was the father of the faithful. His faith was built on his obedience to the word of God. Our faith is built on our obedience to the word of God. We hear the word. We believe the word. We do the word. Jesus said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Deception and seduction go hand in hand. People are deceived because the deceiver sounds plausible. Who would believe the deceiver? If the deceiver wore a sign around his neck saying, I'm a liar. I am a deceiver. But he doesn't do that. He says, I love God. I still believe the message. But I studied this out in the original Greek and it doesn't mean what we thought it meant. And Paul's teaching was only a cultural thing. And it doesn't apply to us today. You give that man long enough. And the fruit will appear on his platform. And possibly the fruits will too. You give that man long enough. And in the leadership of his church will be drug addicts and alcoholics and homosexuals and adulterers and fornicators. That's where this deception will lead. You cannot turn your back on apostolic truth, doctrine, holiness and righteousness the deceiver therefore is also a seducer he makes a lie look like the truth he himself is deceived our security is in the unchanging Word of God. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.13, But evil men and seducers, seducers, some translations say deceivers. A seducer is a deceiver and vice versa. Evil men and seducers shall grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Deceiving and being deceived. Deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which you have learned 
and have been assured of, knowing of whom you have learned them, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Don't walk away from this apostolic truth that you have heard from a child. Don't walk away. Don't walk away from what your pastor taught you. You know the kind of life that he lived. My pastor lived and died in righteousness. I continue to thank God for I.H. Terry. I continue to thank God for a pastor who cared more about my soul than he did my feelings. I continue to thank God for a pastor to whom the Word of God was ultimate. And you could never improve on the Word of God. One of the greatest Bible teachers who ever lived. Thank God for my pastor. While he lived, I prayed for him daily and asked God to bless him. And now that he's dead, I thank God for him. Thank you, Lord, for my pastor. Thank you for Brother Terry. Thank you for putting that man of God in my life. I was able to see what he lived. He lived what he preached. I lived long enough and I waited long enough to see the fruit of his ministry. And I am part of the fruit of his ministry and of his life. You need to thank God for your pastor. You know you've seen the fruit. You've seen the fruit. You've seen the word of God preached. You've seen him live what he preaches. You've seen him, you've seen his family live what he preaches. Thank God for your pastor. Don't leave that and run after somebody that you haven't even seen the fruit. You haven't even seen the end. You don't know where they're going to wind up. They don't know where they're at yet. Let me throw this in. I, I, I have a feeling that one of the most dangerous things today are all these connections that people are maintaining with backsliders. They're backslidden friends. There was a time when somebody left the church. We didn't go eat with them anymore. When they left the church, we said, you know, I love you, but I'm not going anywhere and I'm not leaving and, and I still love my pastor and I still believe this message and, and our fellowship is at an end. But today it seems like so many people maintain connections through maybe a website or a, a blog site or, or some type of social networking thing and and they keep in touch. You know, it's not safe for you to keep in touch with everything. Some things are contagious, and you don't want to keep in touch with contagion. It's not safe 
for you to let your curiosity get the best of you and, 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 and say, I want to find out what, what this preacher's saying over here. And I want to log on to their website. And, and I, want to, I want to see what he's saying on his blog. You know what? You just need to pay attention to your pastor. Live what your pastor preaches. Don't worry what some other preacher somewhere else is doing. And be careful who you run with. If you allow yourself to fellowship with the weaker elements of the church, and they're criticizing when they when they go to the restaurant, they start criticizing the pastor, and they say, Well, you know, I don't like this, or maybe they're a little bit more subtle and say, Well, you know, I just don't understand this. I'm concerned. You better, you, better hear, you better hear some alarm bells. There's a train coming down that track. You better not park your car on that track. You better get out of there. You better run. Years ago, I went to visit a friend of mine. We were both out of the same church. And uh, we were both young pastors. And, and I was riding down the road with him in his car, and he began... Now here we are, we're already gone, we're already away from home, and, and we're already pastoring our own church, you know, we're men, I guess we can do and say what we want to, but my friend, who at one time was my best friend, began to talk about my pastor, our pastor, and he began to say some things that were critical, and, and I stopped him and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's, that's still my pastor, and, and I don't want to hear what you're saying. I'm not going to listen to that. Now watch this. We're still both pastoring. And I don't know. I guess you could say in the, using the criteria that the world would use, you could say he's, he's probably a successful pastor. The only problem is that in the church that he pastors, it's, it's not a, there's no issue about women wearing pants or cutting their hair or wearing makeup and jewelry. And in, in fact, in fact... In fact, they don't even believe that baptism in Jesus' name is essential and the infilling of the Holy Ghost is essential. Where does it start? It starts by criticizing people and men of truth and righteousness and fellowshipping and listening to those who do criticize and who talk about we're on this journey and we're finding ourselves and, and, and we have liberty and we have freedom and you folks are in bondage. No, no, we're not in bondage and we're not deceived. Let's, let's look at the original deception in Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, 
Yea, as God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. You know, the world wants to make us think we can't do anything. If you start getting carnal minded or if you get crossways with your pastor, you'll start believing this lie and this deception that, that you can't do anything. In reality, the woman realized that that's not true. We can. We, we can do everything except one thing. We've got all these trees. Folks, there's so many things that apostolics can do that's fun, wholesome, legal, righteous. Quit your whining. We can't do anything. Grow up. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, just one, of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. The serpent said unto the woman, he was a deceiver, and she was deceived. He said, you shall not surely die. You shall not. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes shall be opened and you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. They're just trying to keep you blind. They're just trying to keep you from having fun. They just don't want you to enjoy life. But when you, when you do this, you're going to realize, you're going to have a revelation. Your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like, going to be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw, look at her deception. She saw, wow, her eyes were opened indeed. She saw. That the tree was good for food. Mmm. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. That doesn't look so bad. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit and she did eat. And she gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. She took it. She was deceived. This is good. Look at it. Just look at it. It looks good. It's pleasant to the eyes. It's good for food. And it's to be desired to make one wise. What could be wrong with that? And deceived, she took it. And what's the first thing that a deceived person wants to do? They want to share their deception with somebody else. Look at what I found. Ooh, this is so good. I don't know why we didn't do it sooner. Taste. Have some. Look at me. I'm still alive, aren't I? Look at me. I still talk in tongues. Look at me. I still go to the altar and I still have tears and I still feel God. Look at me. Why don't you have some too? That voice we heard was wrong. I didn't die. I heard another voice. I've got a new mentor. 
I've got a new pastor. I found him online. And he says, I don't even have to pay tithes. You get what you pay for. In the past few months, in the past few months, this year, I have been in contact with men who consider themselves apostolics. I'm talking about baptizing in Jesus' name for the remission of sins, Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. Some of these men have been apostolic for, have been apostolic for, for 50 years and have a long history. Others are brand new apostolics. And, and, and in, in, in these men that I have met just this year who are quote-unquote apostolics are those who don't believe in paying tithes, those who uh, believe in the doctrine of universalism or ultimate restitution that Eventually, nobody will be lost. Nobody. Everybody is going to be saved. Those, some who believe in annihilation of the wicked dead and no eternal hell. Um, some who believe and teach their people not to clap their hands in church at all. Never. And, uh, and you wouldn't believe the crazy things that are, that, that are found under or between the parentheses of being apostolic. I sat with, I sat with a, uh, an official of an organization in the Philippines, a large apostolic organization, an organization that used to be straight, true, and right, and have revival, and be filled with revival. And I, uh, Brother Steve Buxton and I sat with him and we questioned because we had heard that, that so many pastors in that organization now had television. And, and, and we questioned, and, and he shook his head sadly, and he got a resigned look on his face. And he said, well, he said, I estimate that 50% of our pastors have television. In reality, the figure is closer to 90%. In fact, I was at a recent meeting just a couple of months ago, where every single pastor, every single pastor that was there had television. And these were people who used to preach against and teach against television. And this official shook his head sadly and he said, well, brethren, the church is in transition. The church is in transition. And that phrase has gone over and over in my mind since he said it. You know, the truth of the matter is this. The church is not in transition. The church is built on the rock. It's not moving. Organizations are in transition. Movements are in transition. Groups are in transitions. Local churches may be in transition. Pastors may be in transition. But the church of Jesus Christ is not moving. It's not in transition. It's built on the rock.
and the rock is where it always was. You need to shake some friends. You need to shed some friendships. You need to say goodbye to some people who have already said goodbye to the church. You need to cut your contact with them. Because if you maintain contact, it's going to be this constant. Here, take a bite. Here, why don't you try it? Here, this is what we're doing. I'm, I'm, I'm saddened, I'm saddened, I'm saddened by hearing people who, who used to be strong apostolics and they're making references to the movies and the movie stars that they're watching and as, as, though, as though it's their, it's their bragging rights to being modern and to being, you know, with it. I'm saddened by that. Are you on a journey? My journey is God's command. I am not wandering aimlessly about not knowing where I'm going, but I'm walking knowing exactly where I'm going. Psalm 37, 23 said, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. I want you to look at what Job said in the midst of his greatest trial. Job 23, Job answered and said, Even today is my complaint bitter. My stroke is heavier than my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. I would order my cause before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say unto me. Will he plead against me with this great power? No, but he would put strength in me. There the righteous might dispute with him. So should I be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hides himself on the right hand that I cannot see him. Look at this. Job is hurting. He's in pain. He's wounded. He's suffering. And he can't find God. He can't feel God. He can't reach God. And it's during those times of vulnerability that many people despair. And they start looking elsewhere for answers. Don't look elsewhere for answers. When you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. When you're going through a broken marriage and a broken home. When you're going through a tragic sickness. Or a financial failure. Your answers are not to be found somewhere else. Job said, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, when this is over, I'm going to come forth as gold. And I ask you, from whence does this confidence come? In the midst of trial. In the midst of doubt and confusion and questions and not being able to find God. Where does Job get the confidence to say when all this is over, when I'm tried, I'm going to come forth as gold. The answer is here. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. 
Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Job's confidence was built in this. His word is my solid foundation. No matter what happens, no matter the storms, the winds, the trials, the despondency, the depression. I know what I believe. I'm not changing. I'm not moving from this old time apostolic message, this apostolic doctrine, this apostolic righteousness. When my trial's finished, I'm going to be all right. How do I know? How do you know when you haven't felt God? How do you know when you can't find God? How do you know when there's no answer to your prayer? I know because his word said it. Psalm 119, 133 says, order my steps in this journey, in this journey, order my steps in thy word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Jeremiah said in 1023, oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. Ladies and gentlemen, none of us are smart enough intelligent enough educated enough to walk away from this old-time apostolic message and start to direct our own path you can't do it you're going to follow somebody who is a deceiver who is a seducer and you're both going to wind up in the ditch it's not in man to direct his own steps it's not just this is the journey that i'm on no it's the rock that i'm on And finally, in Proverbs 4.26, is this injunction that I will leave you with. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Ponder the path of your feet. Where are you at right now, child of God? Where are you at, preacher's kid? Where are you standing? Which direction are you going? I thank God. I thank God for a church of new converts. One walked up to me with a serious question here a while back. And he said, Pastor, I just want to know, is it okay to use marijuana? He was dead serious. He was right. He didn't know. He said, I mean, it's a herb. Thank God for new converts that don't have a clue, but they're coming this direction. Shall we stand? Which direction are you going? Ponder the path of your feet. Let your ways be established. Be settled in what you believe. And resist the spirit of deception that is so rampant in our world today. Stand fast and hold fast to what you have. And let no man steal your crown.